0: Well, you can have your seat. Praise God. Always a, a pleasure to fill in any time for a pastor. Nobody doesn't like pastor. Amen. Uh, pastor's Wednesday night service is uh, something that uh, is, um, you know, from, a, you know, in my mind, legendary pastor is, uh, there's only, we have only one pastor and uh, uh, he does an awesome job. Don't we appreciate him? He and Mrs. Hagen do it. Yeah, give it up for them. We, they do an awesome job, and we love them, appreciate them. We're just glad to fill in for them wherever, whenever we can. So tonight you have your Bible. If you would go to Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 4, and uh, let your eyes slip down to about verse 20. While you're going to Romans chapter 4, I'll start off by saying, you know, uh, my sweet bride, Tony is with me tonight. We love to cook. We love to, we're always experimenting with things and, and, uh, cooking for people. We love to have big crowds over at the house and feed everybody. And, uh, sometimes we labor endlessly hours into the night, getting ready when people are coming. I know, uh, for, um, Christmas, uh, Eve and the kids were coming over and I had bought this, uh, prime rib roast. And, you know, I spent over $70 on that prime rib roast, you know, and I was trying to figure out how to get it right. I didn't want to mess it up and I hadn't, I'd never made it. I usually smoke things and that I'd never made a prime rib roast, but since I spent over 70 bucks for it, I was like, I want to get it right. I was watching four or five videos and I was just trying to get that thing right. And uh, one thing about coming to our house, you know, we prepare endlessly and we just love for people to have a good time. We want people to eat all they want. We always say, if you leave hungry, it's your own fault. uh, But we have just a few traditions at home. After Tony and I cook, we always let the ladies go first. um, But then when somebody who's not a member of the family is at the house and they don't realize, you have to go to the table and get your plate. And so often when people are over, we might forget to tell them, go get your plate. And so people form a line to get the food and then somebody inevitably is in line and they don't have a plate. And, And one member of the family will say, your plate is on the table. In other words, what they're really saying is, if you don't, get, if you don't go get that plate, you ain't going to eat. And they go, oh, I better go get the plate. So I want to say tonight, your plate is on the table. Get what you want. Is that all right? My actual title tonight is, there are seven things that God does not want to do for you and I. Of all the gazillion uncountable things that God has done and wants to do for you and I, I have found at least seven that God doesn't want to do. And it goes back to, to our tradition at home. See, the thing about it is, now, Tony and I will cook. We'll cook for you, but we're not going to spoon feed you. If, if you don't go get that plate, you ain't going to eat. <laughs> and, and, and so there are certain things that God has already done for you and I. He, he's already finished a work. And when the work is finished, he expects you and I to get the plate and to help ourselves. And so, in that line, in that tradition, I wanna share briefly these seven things that the Lord laid uh, on my heart. Seven things the Lord does not wanna do for you and I. The reason he doesn't wanna do, he's already finished the work. And he's expecting you and I to do something. So many times, we expect the Lord to do everything. He's already done what he's gonna do. He did all the hard stuff, he did all the heavy lifting, he carried all the burden. <laughs> Anybody glad? He, Jesus carried the sins of the whole world and they were nailed to his cross. He accomplished our redemption. He paid for our righteousness. He paid for our healing. He's already accomplished the work. He's already done it. And if you and I are gonna partake of it, we're gonna have to go get our plate. There are certain things that you and I are gonna have to do if we're gonna receive. Can I get an amen there? Amen. So you're in Romans chapter four. The first of these is that God is not going to make you and I fully convinced. Let me read here. I'm in New Living Translation. This is Romans chapter four, verse 20. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. Everybody say his faith grew stronger. Yeah, that's God's will for you and I. And in this, he bought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. I like that. Abraham arrived at a point where he was completely, fully convinced that what God promised, God was going to do. Aren't you glad that when God says something, when God speaks something, he'll do what he says. He will back up what he says. I uh, always share so much about uh, my coming up with my boys. I always try to keep my word to my boys. I always tried to, when I was raising them, I always wanted to keep my word as a dad. I shared so often about John Paul when he was just a little teeny bopper and I'd put him in bed one night and, and I, you know, he, he, we'd said our prayers and, and uh, I'd hugged him goodnight. And then he said to me, dad, you promised to take me to McDonald's today. And I said, oh man, you forgot, I forgot. We both forgot, we'll go tomorrow. He said, no, 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 you promised. I said, well, John Paul, listen, it's 11 o'clock at night. We can't go to no McDonald's at 11 o'clock at night. We just forgot. Son, if you had said something or if I would said something, I would have taken you. We just forgot. We go in the morning. He looked at me with them brown eyes. He said, you promised. I said, get your coat. We all on down to McDonald's. Why? I, I was less concerned about the grease from that hamburger and fries than I was about keeping my word. I wanted, him, I wanted my word to be good. Yeah. And Abraham became convinced, absolutely convinced that what God had promised him, what God had said to him, that God was fully able to perform it. What's your point, preacher? God is not going to make you and I fully convinced. Oh, that's our job. God expects you and I to take his word and to get his word down on the inside of us to such an extent that we become fully convinced because we have exposed ourselves to the word again, and faith come by hearing, hearing by the word again, and again, Joshua 1, 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth you shall meditate on it again and again and again. God's expecting you and I to do something about that. But when we take the time to get the word down on the inside of us, guess what happens? we become fully convinced that God will do what he said. No matter what area it is, whatever area it is we expose ourselves to in the word, we'll become fully convinced that God will do what he said. Sometimes we're just waiting on God. God fully convinced me. God fully convinced me. God, now God said, I've done all the work. I've done everything I'm going to do. Your plate is on the table. You'll go hungry if you don't go get that plate. Yeah, Jesus has finished the work. It's up to you and I to get in the word and to become fully convinced that God will do what God said he would do. Can I get an amen there? So God is not going to make you and I fully convinced. We're going to have to go get our plate. We're going to have to get in the word, and we're going to have to do that ourselves. Secondly, listen, God does not want to humble us. God says to you and I, humble yourself. Go with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Man, God doesn't want to humble. God, God always says in the word, listen, something like that. You do that. Have you ever read in Philippians chapter two, starting at verse three? Get your plate. Here we are. Philippians two, three, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Listen, be humble. Thinking of others as what? Better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Look at verse 6. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position, there it is again, of a slave, was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself, there it is again, in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor God does not want to humble you and I. He expects you and I to humble ourselves. And these points I'm making tonight will enable you and I to receive from the Lord at a higher level. How I many you know God has things for you and I in flood stage? God has done things, His promises, look, they're exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. God has, God has things stored up for you and I in flood stage. But so often we receive at a trickle stage. But listen, if if we'll do these things we're talking about tonight, the the listen the 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 doors will open, the gates will swing open, and you'll receive at a greater level from the Lord than you ever have before. Walking in uh, humility and humbling um, ourselves is uh, so uh, very important. Go with me to First Peter chapter five. First Peter chapter five, talking about humility. How many know God opposes the proud? He gives grace to, hum, to the humble, humble people, but he opposes the proud. First Peter 5, 5. 1 Peter 5, 5. Are you ready? In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders and all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now look at verse six. So humble yourselves. What? Humble yourselves. What? Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares for you. Oh, man, listen, uh, God has done all the work for you and I. He's not going to fully persuade us. He's already done all the work. It's up to you and I to get in the word. He's not going to humble us. Secondly, he wants us to humble ourselves. Now, God knows how to humble us, but he, the, 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 greater th- the greater way, the best way, is when you and I just walk in a self-imposed humility. Amen? Can I get an amen there? Amen. Thirdly, thirdly, listen, um, God is not going to rebuke the devil for you and I. Jesus died and then gave his authority to the church. He said, go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. In other words, with that go, word go, he transferred his authority to the church in Matthew 28. And, and so he's, he's already done the work. He's already provided the work. You and I have got to get the plate. And, and, and listen, we've got to do what he said. He told you and I to resist the devil. And we'll get no amen there. Listen, you're in First uh, Peter chapter five right now. Uh, look at First Peter 5, eight. 1 Peter 5, eight. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now look at verse nine. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. You know what God is saying? You and I have to resist the devil. And if we'll resist him, listen, if you resist him, you won't have to run from him. You won't have to be afraid of him. You won't have to hide from him. Jesus has already defeated him. Jesus has already paralyzed him so he operates in fear and deception but listen if we'll stand on the authority that christ has transferred to us and resist satan like the word says listen he will flee from us go to james chapter four james chapter four resist the devil god's not going to resist the devil for you and i god's done god's done all the work god's done god's provided everything the food's on the table You come to our house, Tony and I will feed you, but we're not going to spoon feed you. If if you're going to eat, you're going to have to go get that plate and you're going to have to pick up a fork and eat. God God is saying, I I furnish the table. I put all the food on the table. Get your plate, get your fork. We're in James 4, uh, verse 6, uh, and he gives grace generously, as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Now look, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Wow. Resist the devil and what will he do? He will flee from you. God's not gonna resist the devil for you and I. You and I have to study our authority and then we have to stand on our authority and then we have to use the word and the blood and all of the things that God has given us and stand and use our authority, praise God. Listen, fourthly, God is not gonna keep our hearts pure. I know I won't get no amen t- saying that. I said, God, God's not gonna keep our, now listen, the blood of Jesus is what has purified our heart. Don't misunderstand me. But, but as it concerns walking and living our life and living a life of righteousness based upon what Christ has already done, it is only the blood that could, that could cleanse us. It's only the blood that could forgive us. We're forgiven and cleansed because of the efficacy of His blood. Thank God. But, but God is not going to keep us pure from that point from that perspective. You and I are going to have to do that. Brother won't get no amen. They' lost every amen. You and I are going to have to keep ourselves pure. There are certain things that we have to do that we are going to have to... Go with me to uh, 2 Timothy then. 2 Timothy, you're looking at me kind of strange. So I'll just keep giving you scripture. (laughs) Uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2 at verse... uh, Let's we'll start at 19, 20, is our, uh, 20 and 21 is our verse. But 2 Timothy 2:19 says, But God's truth stands firm like a foundation uh, with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver. Some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones for everyday use. Now look at verse 21. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. If you, God says, keep yourself pure, in other words, it's the blood that has purified us. It's his blood that forgives us. But God expects you and I to do the work of self-control and discipline and accountability and not just letting any old thing into our mind and not just watching any old kind of junk. There's work that we have to do. We're gonna put it all on God. Okay, well, God, you keep me pure. In the meantime, I'm gonna watch you. Anything I wanna do, look, expose myself to anything I wanna expose, do anything I wanna do, you keep, uh-uh. The efficacy, the, the cleansing, the forgiving, Christ has already done the heavy. He's already done all that. But, but you and I must put ourselves in a position to succeed. We can't then turn around after Christ has done all that and then expose our mind, garbage in, garbage out. I wish I had a bigger amen than that. Okay, go with me to uh, 1 Timothy then. 1 Timothy uh, chapter five and look at uh, 1 Timothy 5, 22. 1 Timothy 5 and uh, 22. Never be in a hurry about appointing a church leader. Do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself what? Keep yourself pure. Yeah. God expects for you and I to do something about that. Yeah. This next scripture, can I have this in the Passion Translation if we have it? Look at Proverbs 31, verse 3. Proverbs 31 and verse 3. Keep yourself pure. Pure Proverbs thirty-one in verse three. It says, "So keep yourself sexually pure from the promiscuous, wayward woman, or I could say wayward man. You know, put that in there. But um, uh, but but again, what's the point here? Over and over again, the Scripture says, God says we have to do. God's done done all the work. He's provided all the strength, all everything that we need. But but you and I have to make our lives line up with the work that Christ has already finished. So, so often somebody's waiting for the Lord to do something. I'm waiting for the Lord to do something. I'm waiting for the Lord to do something. And the Lord is waiting for you to do something. But God, from that perspective, he's already cleansed us. He's already done that and finished the work. He's, he's not going to make us keep ourselves pure. He wants us to do that good work. He has provided the strength and the ability and all that we need, his word, his spirit, Uh, He's provided a way of escape. No temptation has taken us, but such as is common to man. God is faithful, who will not allow us to be tempted above what we're able, but provide the way of escape we may be able to endure. Um, You know, um, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. So so God's already done the work. But listen, we are going to have to keep ourselves pure is the point. Go with me to uh, Psalm uh, 35 now, Psalm 35. Here's the next one. God is not going to balance our budgets. I'm not expecting an amen there either. (laughs) I lost my amens a long time ago. I had Tony sit down in front of me before we came over to church tonight, and she just said, amen, 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 So I got all my amens that way. No, not really. Listen, God is not going to balance our budgets. Now, the Bible says this. He takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. And 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 Jesus had Jesus provided for Abraham abundantly. He has an overflow provision for you and I. And and God expects us to be blessed and on top. And He wants us to have great things. And God Jesus died, why? So that we could have abundant life. He wants us to overflow and not be selfish about it, but He wants us to reach out beyond our four walls. Can I get an Amen there? God wants you blessed and prosperous. Can I get an Amen there? Oh, there they are. <laughs> But the Lord is not going to balance our budgets for us. That is something that you and I must do. Somebody says, well, I just want the Lord to bless me, and I just wanna, I'm just going to spend it with the and just going to cast caution to the wind. No, you're going to be broke as you want to be. Where did I tell you to go? Psalm 35, uh, verse 27. But give great joy to those who came to my defense. Let them continually say, great is the Lord who delights in and blessing his servants with peace, or other versions say he delights in the prosperity of his servant. God delights in the prosperity of his servants. Look at Proverbs chapter 6, if you will. Proverbs chapter 6 along this subject. God, God wants to bless us. God wants you and I to have nice things. But, but listen, but but we'll receive from the Lord at a much higher level if we learn to live within our means, if we learn how to be content as God blesses us from glory to glory to glory. Listen, living with Christ is not about following some false get-rich-quick scheme. There is no get-rich-quick scheme in the body of Christ. So I wish I had a bigger amen. There's some bad doctrine teaching that. But God will bless us from glory to glory to glory to glory. But God also wants to know that we're responsible to pay our bills and responsible to live within our means and responsible to do what he said we should do. Responsible to pay our tithes and offerings and responsible to, to live the, uh, you know, in, in a contented way as he blesses us from level to level to level. I wish I had a bigger amen than that. Proverbs 6, okay, I'll keep reading scripture. Proverbs 6, take a lesson from the, Proverbs 6, 6, I'm sorry. Proverbs 6, six. take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise, though they have no prince or a governor or a ruler to make them work. <laughs> ants are very resourceful, and God is saying, pay attention to them. They do things on purpose. They know how to save and how to store away and how to prepare things and how to think ahead, even in an ant. An ant can do that. Look at uh, Proverbs 21, Proverbs 21, if you will. Proverbs 21. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to what? Poverty. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. God is not gonna balance our budget. You and I are gonna have to do that. But, but if we will make the effort to make our lives line up with the finished work of what Christ has already provided for us, he's already provided prosperity for us, if we'll, if we'll do the good work to make our lives and our lifestyle line up with that, guess what? We'll receive from God at a much higher level. Amen. Praise God. Let me go on. Number six, God is not going to examine our hearts from the standpoint of, Judging, uh, he wants us to judge ourselves. He he says this: don't judge other people. And listen, got to. He doesn't want us to judge anybody else. But here's what he wants us to do: he wants us to judge ourselves. Can I get amen? No amen there. Okay, let's keep reading scripture. First Corinthians eleven. I should have called this the no amen the no amen sermon. <laughs> <laughs> First Corinthians eleven. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Uh so uh let's see here. Okay, first Corinthians eleven, start at twenty-eight uh for me, okay? First Corinthians eleven, twenty-eight. Uh that is why you should examine yourself. There it is. That is why you should examine yourself. Examine yourself. Don't say examine your neighbor. It it says, that is why you should examine yourself. Uh, Examine yourself before eating, uh, uh, eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. And that is why many of you, listen, that is why many of you, verse 30, are weak and sick. And some have even died. 31. But if we would examine ourselves... We would not be judged by God in this way. God doesn't want to judge anybody. God doesn't want to judge anybody. You know what the Lord says? Hey, judge yourself. If you'll judge yourself, everything will be fine. What was happening in the Corinthian church? There was a strange phenomenon. Many of them were not experiencing healing, at least not at the level they were supposed to, because some were weak and some were sick and some had already died early. So even though healing was real, even though Christ had already provided healing for them, what Paul wrote to them is many many of you are weak and sick. Some have gone home to be with the Lord early. Why? And it was because of the way they they weren't examining their hearts. They weren't examining their lives so that they could walk in true repentance. Brother Hagin said years ago during the great healing revival that started in 1948, a man came out of that revival Jack Coe, And he was used mightily of God all over the world in miraculous, mighty, mighty healing. And he also said, 1985, when I was a student here, Brother Hagan said that, that the Lord sent him one time to Jack Coe and he told him to judge himself in three areas, in and, and diet and walking in love toward his fellow minister and in being money-minded. But as the story went, he didn't do that. He went home to be with the Lord early. Mighty, mighty man of God. God doesn't want to judge anybody. He's a loving, kind, heavenly father. The Bible says this, uh, Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ did what? Christ died for us. He's a patient. The husbandman waited for the precious fruit of the earth. He's a patient God. He's the God of a second and third and fourth chance. Aren't you glad about that? But there, there are times when the Lord says, "Hey, I want you to judge yourself." Look at First uh, uh, Timothy chapter one, verse nineteen. First Timothy one nineteen. First Timothy one nineteen. God's not. God's not. He doesn't want to examine us. He doesn't want to judge us. He, he wants us to do that ourselves. He, God said, "Hey, you you take care of that. You you examine your heart. The Holy Spirit's on the inside of you, and and if there's something there, you can confess it." You know, First John 1, 9 says if we're faithful, that, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Thank anybody glad? Anybody glad that that, 1 John 1, 9. But First uh, Timothy one nineteen, 19, uh, it says, uh, cling to your faith in Christ. Keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences. And as a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. It's the same thing we're talking about. We have to examine our heart. And, 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 I'm, and listen, if it, I'm not saying this. Listen, if, if you examine your heart, there's nothing there. Don't go digging. You understand what I mean by that? Don't go looking for something that's already been placed under the blood. Don't go looking for something that's already been cast in the sea of forgetfulness. I said, I wish I had a bigger amen there. When something's already been placed under the blood, it's already been cast in the sea of forgetfulness. Don't be looking for that. But, but if there is something there, then make a slight adjustment. When the Holy Spirit prompts you or I. God doesn't want to judge any of us. He tells us to examine ourselves. He's not going to examine our hearts. He wants you and I to do that. Finally, number seven tonight. God, He's not going to make us walk in love. He is not going to make us walk in love. Now, we know this Galatians 5, 6, faith worketh by love. But um, he, he wants you and I... Uh, Listen, Jesus died. When he died, Romans tells us that the love of Christ was shed abroad in our hearts. So so Christ died and then placed his love on the inside of us. Now, you and I have to stir that love up. Now, I wish I had a bigger amen there. I said, you and I are going to have to stir that love up. God's not going to make you and I walk in love. He tells us to walk in love. He tells us our faith won't work without love, but he's not going to make you and I walk in love. You and I have to do that. Oh, but if we'll do it. Oh, but if we'll walk in love. We'll stop receiving at a trickle-down effect and we'll receive at a flood stage stage effect if we'll just do what he said and if we'll walk in love. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, if you will. Ephesians chapter 5. Verse um, 1 and 2. Ephesians 5, verse 1 and 2. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love. Everybody say, live a life filled with love. Yeah. Following the example of Christ, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a a pleasing aroma to God. Oh man, look at Colossians chapter 3 real quick. Colossians chapter 3. God's not going to make us walk in love. Christ died because of his love for us, we even love him because he first loved us, and then he took his love and placed it in our hearts. Now we have to stir up that love. And and, and he's not going to stir that love. You and I have to do that. He died to give us that love. And isn't it wonderful to be loved that way? We're in Colossians 3, verse 12. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves. Everybody say, clothe yourselves. There it is again. Uh, with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Verse 13, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Look at 14, above all, clothe yourselves. Say it again, clothe yourselves. Clothe yourselves with what? With love. Clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. As I end tonight, I've shared this story before, but I feel that I should share it again. I feel impressed of the Holy Spirit to share it again here. And um, when I was uh, a young man uh, and I was involved with Campus Crusade for Christ on my college campus, and one summer I went to what would be, for lack of time here, a summer camp for all summer long. We were there for two months. and, and, um, And during that time, uh, there were 60 of us college students, all Christians. We had never met each other. From all, Everybody was from a different college, a different university around the country. It all applied to be at this one particular location for the summer. And we worked in an amusement park. And, and, and in working in the amusement park, I met an older man. A, I, was, I had to be 19 or 20, and he had to be, I don't know, 75, 78, somewhere between 75 and 80. I shared my faith with him. He was a security guard. And on the way out of the park, in the way out of King's Dominions Amusement Park, there were several security shacks. And to exit the park as an employee, you had to go through one of those so they could make sure you weren't stealing anything. And so they would wand you and then you would go out. And so that's how I met this man. And in the process of doing that several times with him, we became friends. I shared my faith with him and he gave his life to Jesus. Right there in his little guard shack. And he said this to me. He said, "I uh, after he prayed to receive Christ, He said, I have a problem. I said, what's the problem? He said to me, I hate Asian people. I said, you hate Asian people? He said, I hate them. I said, well, you just got born again. Didn't you just ask Jesus into your life? He said, yeah, I did. I said, well, the love of Christ has come into your heart and that love won't let you hate anybody. So he said, okay, but I hate them. And I said, no, you're not understanding. I'm telling you the love of Christ has been shed abroad in your heart and that love won't let you hate anybody. And he said, okay, but I hate them. And, I, and so I had a, a little pocket New Testament that I gave him. And I opened it to 1 Corinthians 13. And, and I, I kind of circled and scored four through eight, you know, love is patient, love is kind, love is not jail. And, and I said, listen, I want you to read this. I don't mean, I'm not saying to you if you get a chance. I'm saying read this every day, throughout the day, several times a day, verses four through eight. At the red light, read it. At the, when you're on your break, read it. When you have a few moments, read it. When you're at home, read it. I want you to read this several t- I don't mean if you get a chance. I'm saying I want you to read this several times every day. And we were doing missions around the state of Virginia. We'd go to a town and witness, come back. And so I, I didn't see him for, I think, about two weeks. And um, so uh, after two weeks, I'm coming out of the park, and he's waving at me, Bill, Bill. He wants me to come through his guard shack, and I come through his guard shack, and, uh, and it's two weeks later. And he says to me, I love them. And I said, the, the Asian people? He said, yeah, the Asian people. I love them. I love them. I said, you do? He said, you were right. You were right. I said, no, it's not me. The Bible's right. I said, what I told you, I just got from the Bible. And he said, oh, I love them. He said, God has changed my heart. I love them. He said, I'm getting into trouble. I said, what do you mean? He said, I hug every Asian person I see. I love you. I love you. And he said, get off of me. He said, they were saying, get away from me. Get off. He said, I'm getting in trouble because I keep hugging every Asian person I see. He said, but the love of Jesus. He said, you know, when I fought in a war, I fought in a war and I was told that, that they were my enemy and I just transferred that after the war and I never got that out of my heart. He said, but now the love of Jesus. I love them, I love them, I love them. God's love is transforming. My friend, tonight, all I want you to see and felt so impressed as I prepared this sermon, that there are certain things that you and I have to do. And if we'll take our due diligence in these seven areas, we will receive from God in a flood stage. Father, bless your people and help them every place they hurt. In Jesus' name, amen. Our prayer partners are coming now. And they are here to pray with you. They're not going to counsel you and have long conversations, but these people are anointed. They have a supply of the spirit. And you want somebody to agree with you. You say, I want to be saved. Come on forward. They'll help you with that. I want to be filled with the spirit. Come on forward. They'll help you with that. Hey, I want somebody to agree with me in prayer. Come on forward. They're going to help you with that. We only ask the ladies go to the ladies. The guys go to the guys. As we conclude this service, come forward and let someone pray with you. And you won't leave here like you came in Jesus name. Your plate is on the table. Go get what you want. Remember to pray for the Hagens, the team of people who are with them. And then you'd be here Sunday morning, the School of Bible hour, and then there'll be a great word from heaven. Come believing, come expecting that ten o'clock hour on Sunday morning. God bless you, one and all. You are dismissed.